Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Thank you all for joining us for another beautiful, sunny, hopefully day here in McKinney, Texas. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. So if you guys will join me in a word of prayer as we open up our service today, and uh, then we'll get into the word. Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here. Get us all ready to hear your word today, Lord, and help us to glean the truth from you. Lord, I pray that I would not be the teacher. I pray your Holy Spirit would teach us all. As I just read your word and just teach what it says simply, I just pray that we would all be blessed here today, Lord. I pray everybody that ever listens would be blessed whenever they hear it, Lord. I thank you, Lord God, for all that you're doing in my life and all that you do in people's lives, Lord God. <laughs> for, Lord, as long as people are living, your word says, Jesus, that the rain falls on the good and the evil. Rain falls on the people that live for you and the people that don't live for you. As we just had some glorious rain here last night, Lord God, thank you for all that glorious rain we had here just last night. I pray, Lord, that you would keep the enemy out. Whereas there is an enemy of our souls, Lord, and I just pray that you would bind him from this place, Lord God, and that you would stop him from coming in here and distracting our minds as we try to listen to your word. And I pray you just speak how you want to speak, Lord, to each one of us, wherever we're at, wherever anybody's ever at that listens, Lord. Speak to them exactly the way they need to be spoke to. I love you and praise you. Use me as your mouthpiece, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you guys want to open up, if you're in your Bibles, to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 18 through 22 today. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. The name of our service today is Count the Cost. Count the Cost. If we're there, you can listen along. I'm going to start reading. Actually, before I start reading, I I want reading. I want to say that, you know, here, anybody that ever listens online or that's listening here and doesn't know, we have a website too, gospelsavingchurch.com, and all our services are on there, all our recordings are on there. So, uh, you know, if that's how you found us or if you're listening on SoundCloud, wherever you're at, we're at gospelsavingchurch.com, and we teach verse by verse through the Bible, and we, we don't generally vary, we don't generally deviate from that, we go verse by verse. We started in Matthew chapter 1, and we're all the way through Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22 right now. So that's where we're at. The only skip that we had, if you're following along, if you've been following for a while, was Resurrection Sunday. We did a, a special section out of 1 Corinthians because it was Resurrection Sunday. Otherwise, here we are, Matthew chapter 8, 18 through 22. I'm going to read it, and we're going to teach. 18. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their own dead. So we just move on from verses 14 through 17, where Jesus did a whole bunch of miracles. He did a whole bunch of healings. He did a whole bunch of exorcisms. And we're moving on from that. And it's funny because right there in verse 18, we read, And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him. And when he saw... If you follow, if you've been reading so far along with us, if you've been with us, if you've ever read the New Testament, you'll read that multitudes were always around Jesus all the time. All the time. 
They were constantly flocking him and surrounding him and pressing in upon him. They were always doing this. And yet it says here in 18, and when Jesus saw great multitudes about him. So they were always around him. They were never not around him. But I, the Lord really showed me as I was looking at this section of scripture, have you ever been real busy doing something? Kind of gotten tunnel vision. And as you're doing whatever you're doing, you get tunnel vision. And all of a sudden, it's like you like break out of that tunnel vision. And it's like, oh, wow. Where have I been? It's happened to me on the road. I've been driving along on the road. And I've been thinking and driving along and going by and going by. And I'm looking for exit 18. And as I'm driving along, as I'm driving along, all of a sudden, I'm like, wait a minute. Exit 22? What? How did I get to exit 22? What, what, what happened to 18, 19, and 20, and 21? But we get these tunnel vision sometimes and Jesus right here multitudes were always around him Jesus forgot about all the multitudes that were around him because he was so focused on healing the multitudes of the sick and healing the multitudes of those that were brought to him that were demon possessed and that's just funny because you would think that he would realize but he was human just like us so he got tunnel vision just like we do sometimes so and, and, you know, you can't blame the people. Multitudes of people always around him. You can't blame them. Jesus did miracles that have never been and are still not done in this world today. John chapter 9, a man born blind from birth. And Jesus comes upon him. He makes saliva. He, makes, he puts it into the clay and he spits into the clay and he takes the clay and he rubs it on the guy's eyes. And he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the guy goes and washes. And as he washes, he could see. So all his friends and all the people that knew him were so surprised. They're like, this is the guy that's born blind. How is it that he can see? And they're so flabbergasted. But I don't understand. How can this guy see? They take this guy to the Pharisees and the Sadducees where they start to ask him about the miracle and ask him about what Jesus did to him. And he really didn't even know because he didn't even see Jesus. He only heard Jesus because when he was there with Jesus, he was blind. And then Jesus said, go to the pool of Siloam. So he didn't ever actually see Jesus. He just kind of knew who it was. And even in his own testimony, in John 9, 30-33, he's answering the Pharisees because they're trying to get him to, to denounce Jesus as the Christ. They're trying to just call him a, a hypocrite because the man got healed on the Sabbath. And there's a whole big story there. And I didn't want to get into that. But even the man's testimony in John 9, 30-33, the man says to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing that this man has done to me, that you do not know where he's from. Yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, because they were trying to get him to, to say that Jesus was a sinner, and he wasn't the Christ, because he healed a man on the Sabbath. But if anyone is a worshiper of God, he says he does hear him. Since the world began, the man says, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of the one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So you see, Jesus was a tremendous miracle worker, a tremendous powerful speaker. So very common, why not? Hey, this guy's doing miracles. Let's go see. So multitudes were always around him. And Jesus again fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, and he says that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the prophet Isaiah saying, and he, and he himself bore, took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So he, he was fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, and also he was getting people, multitudes of people to come around him and see the great works that he did that they would be able to see. And of course, again, to know that he was the Christ. Fulfilling prophecy was something he did so that people would know he was the one that God sent into the world. To take our sins. So, but naturally, again, his miracles drew multitudes, thousands of people, which is exactly what we see throughout his whole ministry. But all these people surrounding him often, and him doing all the miracles he did, made his life difficult and tiring for him. Look at here, 18 again, read Matthew 5, or 8, 18 again. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Why did he give a command to to tell his disciples to go across to the other side because Jesus was tired. Jesus got wearied. Imagine yourself. Paint this picture. 
Imagine, multitudes of people always around him. It's easy to detach ourselves, so God always helps me to put it in perspective of what do I see, what can I see, how, do, how can I relate to that? Think of the last time you went to a major amusement park. Six Flags, Disney World, whatever. And think of the thousands of people that surrounded you and the hundreds of people that went that were standing in your line as you stood there in line and waited to get to that ride. That's one day generally people go to a music bar for one day. What happens? At the end of that day, you're so ready to get out of that amusement park because why? There's thousands and hundreds of people that you're standing in line and waiting around and so on and so forth. And you just can't wait to get in your car and... and have that elbow room that you want. And drive home where you could be in your house where you have a, a big living room where you could spin around and jump up and down, whatever you want to do, nice and relaxed. Now that's for one day. And think in your mind how tiring it is just for that one day at that amusement park where you're standing there with all those people. How tiring that is. Jesus did this for the majority of three and a half years, thousands of people were around him at all times, pressing in on him, wanting something from him, waiting to hear from him. So, of course, why did he give the command to go to the other side? He was tired. And he, unlike Six Flags or Disney World, he was the main attraction. He, it wasn't like we were all waiting to go on a ride. Jesus was the main attraction. How do we know that he was tired? There's more. We read here in uh, Matthew 8, go down to verse 24. And we read, And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves. But Jesus was asleep. Now, here they are in Matthew 8. 24, which is just a few verses that we're not going to get to into teaching this week. But 8.24, here we are just a few verses later after he finally did get into the boat and go. And here he is during a great tempest, a great storm. I, we had a great storm here last night, in fact, right here in McKinney, Texas. Thunder and lightning and my son's dog getting up and waking everybody up and so on and so forth. And, and everybody had a trouble sleeping. Even including me, including my wife, we all had trouble sleeping. And that was in a great storm. We easily woke up. Jesus was so exhausted and so tired that here during a great storm, a great tempest here in Matthew 8, 24, he was fast asleep. So we know that he was very tired and he must have been very tired often. It's actually not the only time we also read about him being tired in John 4, 5-6. We read about what happened when Jesus was on the road with his disciples and they were traveling, evangelizing to people and he comes to the Samaritan well where he sits down and in John, it says, he records, So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And now Joseph's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And it's actually right before he met the Samaritan woman that he kind of told her everything she ever did and everything. And so that's not the only place. And, and earnestly, we could make an entire sermon out of how Jesus got tired off and on, so on and so forth, here and there. And it's, we can't, we're not going to, that's not the focus of our sermon today, but what is to know that Jesus was, and we can't forget this, he was 100% man in the flesh, but he also was 100% God. So as we get tired, so Jesus also gets tired. So simply enough, that's just, enough to say on that it, it's we see it here we see a humanity of Christ Jesus and the Bible says that he became flesh so that he could bear our weaknesses and so that he would know he would be the great high priest that he would know the sufferings and the wearinesses that we go through that when we have those struggles we can also come to him but he was also 100% God but anyway we move on <laughs> so Jesus was tired and he wanted to get away from the multitudes so we have this command in verse 18. So what happens as he's trying to get away and get some rest, but two guys come to him as we read in verses 19 and 20 and 21. Read them, 19. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And then in verse 21, Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. So 
Imagine Jesus is really tired. And just wants some rest. He wants to get away from the multitudes for a little while. And get into a boat. And what happens as he starts to do this? The two roadblocks come. Jesus, Jesus, let, let's talk. So imagine again, paint a picture in your mind. You're at work. And your break is three hours past two. And all you want to do is just get away from the register. You just, just want to get, I, I really got to go to the bathroom. I just, just want to rest my head. You're tired. You've been working all day, especially a very busy day. And you're real weary and you're real tired. And you're like, they finally get there to give you your break. They finally get there to get you off. And as you're walking to the bathroom, as you're walking back to the break room, all of a sudden, oh, and sir, a customer stops you. Hi, sir. How are you today? It's hard to be nice when that happens, isn't it? Like it's, it can be easy. It be easy to real, get real snappy and so on and so forth. But and that's exactly what happened to Jesus here. So imagine in your mind, Jesus as he's walking, he's he's ready to get in the boat, ready to take a nap. Ah, Jesus, hey, hey, Lord, I got a couple questions for you. Wait, oh, so he no, so what do we see? Jesus got real snappy and he fired off at him and he got real angry and he, and he lashed out at him, right? Oh, no, he didn't. I'm sorry, he didn't. Jesus just answered them with love and patience. And of course, he was brutally honest with them in the questions that they asked him and the statements that they made. But Jesus, we see the love of Christ in that he did not fire off. He just simply says in verse 20, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And to the other man, he says, follow me and let the dead bury there. He didn't lash out at them. It's funny how all throughout the Word of God we can see the love of Christ in His most exhausted moments because that's when you really can see someone's true love for you is the inconvenience that they'll take for you even when you're really tired, even when you're really short, even when you're really impatient and somebody comes to you, do you snap at that person? It's real love when you don't and Jesus never did. Jesus was always calm-headed and level-headed although he was tired. Now, the scripture doesn't say all that, but easily we see that all right in there. He was asleep. He wanted to go to sleep. So, two men come to him. Verses 19, 20, and 21. We're going to stay here. That's going to be the focus of what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to look at the requests that they made, and we're going to look at how Jesus answered them. So let's read 19 again. Then a certain scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So, what did these guys have to say? First scribe, call him a scribe. He was kind of along with the crowd. Jesus was, you know, going along. He was kind of there. He hears Jesus' command, get in the boat, let's cross over. What does he do in response to Jesus' command? He says boldly, I will follow you wherever you go. But this statement, this guy was a lot like Peter. Very off the hip, very bold, but the guy really didn't think a lot of what, what he said before he said it. But thanks be to God that we have it, because we got to see the gold nugget of what Jesus said in response to what this guy said. In Jesus' reply, we have a very powerful message that everyone in this world living today absolutely needs to hear. Jesus tells him very boldly, very plainly, very lovingly in verse 20, I'll translate it. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He simply says to this scribe, it's not going to be easy to be one of my followers. It's not going to be easy, scribe, to be one of my disciples. Yet today, in the world we live in today, in the sad state of the world we live in today, we have many so-called, quote-unquote, Christian churches that teach, just believe in Jesus, have a belief in Jesus, 
and you'll just be okay. Yet, and that's called, in case you're wondering, easy believism. That's what we have in our world today, easy believism. I've been told on the streets, oh, you know what, man, I'm, I'm good. I just believe in Jesus. I'm okay. Hey, you know, I, I, I've prayed and, you know, I believe in him and I'm doing just fine, man. Hey, don't worry about me. I've been told that. Yet, right here, Jesus tells one guy that came to him that lived, walked with him right when he was walking, he tells him, it's not going to be easy to be one of my disciples. Right now, I'm homeless. Did you know that, scribe? Right now, I have no home. And you want to follow me. I don't even have a bed. I don't have a place. I don't have a door. I don't have a key. I have nowhere to go in and lay my head and get away from people. I, I'm homeless. How about that, scribe? Do you still want to follow me? Do you still want to follow me? How come he just didn't say, oh, come on, the more the merrier, just keep on going, buddy. You're you're doing great. Just keep on believing. He didn't say that. He didn't say that at all. And it is true. Don't get me wrong. The Bible does say belief is a foundational thing with God. As where, if you're married, you had to believe in your wife before you asked her out. Before you got married. You can't not believe in something and have a relationship with it, or you can't not believe in something and follow. So, of course, belief is foundational. But does the Bible teach that belief is just enough? Does Jesus Christ himself teach that it's just enough to believe in him, and then just because you believe in him, you're okay? Well, let's look. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus tells some other people that were wanting to follow him. He says to them, if anyone desires to come up after me, or you could say, plain term English today, become a Christian. If anyone wants to become a Christian, if anybody wants to become my follower, this is what he's saying, if you want to do that, he tells them, let you, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We have in those three things, deny yourself. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you can't live how you want to live anymore. Deny yourself. Then he says, pick up your cross. What is that? Live the way I lived. Deny who you are and live how I said to live. And then he says, and follow me. And what is that? Do the things which I told you to do. He goes on in verse 25 and 26. He says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? All I could say is, wow. And I'd like anybody out there, call me. My number's on the website. Anybody, challenge me. Where you find, I just have a belief in Jesus. Hey, he said it was okay. All you had to do is believe in me because if you can find that in there, wow, I'm just not seeing it. There's no easy believism there. So here, back to our verses here, verse 20. What else does he tell the scribe as the scribe gives this bold but unthought out saying. He tells them that you better count the cost before you come and follow me. The scribe said, I'll follow you. Jesus said, well, this is what it's like to follow me. This is what it's going to be like to follow me. You're going to be homeless. Do you really want to be homeless? This is what it's like. Here, come on. Hey, you can come if you want. Jesus, notice Jesus didn't tell him No. Jesus would never tell, and doesn't today tell anybody, no, that wants to come and follow him. But the Bible does say, Jesus Christ does say, count the cost before you even think about wanting to follow me. In Luke 14, 26-33, Jesus turns around to another multitude of people, and he says, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciples. Now, modern day translation in English, God doesn't want us to hate anybody. But in relation to him, Jesus said, I want you to love me more than you love anything or anyone else in your whole life. Because the Bible says that God is a jealous God. He doesn't want a piece of you. He doesn't want a, a fingernail. He doesn't want a piece of your hair. He wants all of you. He goes on and says in verse 27, And whoever does not bear his cross and come up, come up after me cannot be my disciple. He says, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? whether he has enough to finish it. Now think about that. You're building a building. We're having some work done on our house pretty soon here. And we had to count the cost as to whether or not it was going to be cost effective enough to have an addition done on our home. So nobody goes and says, oh, I'll just do it without first what? Going first and taking a look at what it's going to cost me to have that building part or that thing done. Modification to my car. Car repair to your car. Nobody goes in first and doesn't check out those things first. And what is Jesus saying here? He says, count the cost to the scribe. Before you decide to follow me, I don't want to trick you. Scribe, I don't want to make you think, oh, it's just going to be this easy road. Oh, yeah, follow me, all that. Come on, man. It's Where are the marshmallows and where's the campfire? It's not what he says. He says, scribe, hey, come on. But count the cost before you're willing to follow me. Count the cost. And he goes on to say in verse 30 of Luke 14, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. And he says, Or what king going to war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he'll send, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. And he says in, last, in verse 33, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Count the cost before you say, I want to follow Jesus Christ. He says, count the cost. We'll get into why it's worth it later, but that's what he's telling the scribe here. And this message that Jesus taught here and Jesus taught in Luke 14 is definitely not come to me and just have this belief and everything is just going to be okay in your life. You're just going to be peaches and cream from then on out. It's going to be just, just a walk in the park with the little lilies next to you. He said it's going to be hard. And that's exactly what he told the scribe here. So what does he tell the other guy? Let's read verse 21. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Foxes, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, the second man is actually kind of following Jesus. And to Jesus' you know, command to get in the boat and cross over to the other side, he says to him, Lord, I'll, I'll follow you, but let me first go bury my dead. Let me, let me do that first. Jesus replied with verse 22. Now, is Jesus being mean when he says, hey, let the dead go bury their own dead, but you come and follow me. Is he being mean? Does Jesus have no compassion? Because we just saw how Jesus' dad have compassion. But in modern vernacular English, what he's really telling the guys, what the guy's really saying is, hey, Jesus, I'll, I'll, I'll continue to follow you, but first, let me go home. My, my dad's kind of maybe old, and he's going to die soon, and then after he dies in a while, then I'll come. Then, you know, then I'll, then I'll follow you. Because if all the guy had to do was go to a funeral, you can definitely follow Jesus and go to a funeral. And Jesus is always loving and compassionate, so we know that the guy's guy, the guy's dad was not dead, and all he had to do was go to a funeral. The guy wanted to go home. 
And the guy wanted to chill out for a while and take a break and wait till his dad died. And what does Jesus say in reply? He says, you either follow me or you don't. But don't give me excuses how you think, oh, I'll follow you now, but then wait, let me go first do all these things first. I'll come back in a couple years, Jesus, and, and I'll follow you then maybe. Okay? And Jesus says, don't give me excuses. You follow me or you don't follow me. In Luke 9.62, Jesus is having the same conversation with some others that came to him wanting to follow him as well. And he adds this after he tells them what he just told this disciple here. He says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. He's saying, if you start to follow me and turn back for any reason at all, you disqualify yourself from being my disciple. And he says again, you either follow me or you don't follow me. It's a pretty intense concept. But is it new? Is it new? Is this only Jesus that said this throughout the whole Bible? Is it only the only place in the whole Bible where we see this concept found? Absolutely not. If you remember back all the way back to Genesis, God, Jehovah God of the Old Testament, he's going to get Lot and his whole family out of Sodom and Gomorrah because God was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone and make it an ash heap, make it a, a salt. That's actually where the, the, the Dead Sea is right now to this day. And as God sends his angels, go down and he grabs Lot and he brings Lot and his whole family out, as they're a great way off, Lot's wife turns to look at the city and she becomes a pillar of salt. Wow, wait a minute. That was Lot's wife. How did she come she became a pillar of salt? Because in her heart, she wanted that place back. She didn't want to follow God to a new place out of the place of sin, which was all of Sodom and Gomorrah. She in her heart was turning back from God, longing to go back to Sodom and Gomorrah. And she turned to a pillar of salt. So harsh concept that Jesus teaches here, but what do we find? That God had this same concept about 4,000 years before Jesus Christ ever lived on the face of the planet. God said the same thing to Lot and his wife, and he actually made it happen. So Jesus is warning this disciple about the same thing here in our closing verse. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Put your hand to the plow and keep your hand to the plow and keep following me. And it's very powerful. The things we read and the things that Jesus just spoke to these two men. And in Matthew 12, 30, Jesus reaffirms exactly what he taught these two men here. In Matthew 12, 30, he says, He who is not with me is against me. And he, do, he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. What is he saying? You either walk with me and you're working with me and you're following me or you're not. Just like he said to the scribes here, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Follow me is Jesus' command here. And he's saying count the cost before you decide to go and do it. Now, the Bible says that God and Jesus, no difference, is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, because He doesn't change. He stays the same. He's the same then, as He is now, as He will be tomorrow. God stays the same. So, this, so that means that Jesus said here to these two men, that were going to kind of follow Him then, what He said to them goes for every single person that's still alive or that's alive to this day or that's alive right now living or anybody that will ever live until he comes back, he's saying what he told these two men here to those to, to us to this very day because God is the same. Jesus' same charge goes out to all of us here, right here and right now living today. So please don't be fooled and think, well, that was great for then, but that's not how Jesus is today. 
Because this is God's word, and it doesn't change. God says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Being a follower of Jesus Christ, what it really means is to make a decision in your own self and in your own life to get saved and walk with Him, heaven and all. So being a follower of Jesus Christ, don't be fooled, is not just, oh, I'm going to decide to follow Him. It's really a decision that you're making to have salvation. To have salvation. To walk with God and to go to heaven. Those who don't follow Jesus Christ are not saved and they're not going to go to heaven. In fact, God says this, not me, that if you're not a biblical Christian, you will not go to heaven. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And what does it mean to be a biblical Christian? But that you, of course, number one, as I said earlier, foundationally, you have to believe. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. That's actually foundational. But obviously, as we read today, that is not where God leaves it. That is not where Jesus Christ leaves it. He said, yes, believe in me. But then he also said, follow me. What is, what is he saying? He's saying, take your belief, or if your belief does not cause you to live as I live. If your belief that you have in me doesn't cause you to do the things which I told you to do, it's just belief. And folks, in this world today, even myself and all of you included and whoever's listening here, we have millions of beliefs. I believe that the sky is blue. I believe that I have two good running cars. I believe that I live in a house. But only a certain number of those beliefs that I have actually cause my life to be altered. One of those beliefs that I have today is the belief that I'm married to a beautiful woman. But that belief that I have that I'm married to a beautiful woman doesn't cause me to go out and go talk to other women. The belief that I have that I'm married causes me to come home and love my one wife and keep my eyes fixed on just her and not go prostituting myself out to the whole world. I believe that I have two children and that belief alters the way I live because then I come home and I make time in my life for them, to love them and to spend time with them. I don't have two children and then go out and do nothing. Jesus says, that's the belief that I want you to have in me. If you believe in me, well, good. Okay, that's great. That's fine. But now, let that belief cause you in your life to change. If you believe in me, then you have to believe in what I told you. This is how I said to live. If you believe in me and who I am, live the way that I told you to live. And where do we find that? But in the Holy Bible. In the Holy Bible. And he, and he says again, only those that do the things which I told them to do actually love me. So it's not just belief. It's belief until you live in your life the way God says, I want you to live. Now, why in the world? Why in the world would anybody want to follow Jesus Christ? He said, it's hard, it's going to be hard. He said, life's not going to be easy. He said, you're going to have tough times. You might even suffer because of your belief in me. People might not like you. In fact, he said people wouldn't like you. And I have had people in my life as a Christian where they just don't like me because I'm a Christian. Simply. No other reason than that. Because everybody that knows me well thinks I'm a loving person and I'm not harsh or mean or brutal or, or I don't lash out at people. But he said, just because you're a Christian, people are going to not like you. So why in the world would anybody 
anybody in the whole world. Why did I? Why did anybody in the world that really is? Why are we following? Why do we? Why would we want to follow Jesus Christ? We're only the simple fact that the Bible says that we're all sinners. And that sin that we were born in <clears throat> sends us to hell. Because we're all sinners. By default. And that sin that we live in, that sin that we're born in, the end of that sin is death. Death and hell. So why would anybody want to follow Jesus Christ? Well, of course, because he saw that. I don't want them to go to hell is what he said. I want them to come and be with me. Hell that wasn't even created for people, the Bible says. Hell was created for Satan and the fallen angels that purposely saw his face and said, Ah, I don't want to follow you. I'm going to go live. I want, to, I want it all myself. But Jesus saw our sinful nature. He saw our disaster that we lived in. He saw the, the deprivation that we lived in. And he said, I love them. I want to rescue them. I want to give them a way out. And so he wrapped himself in human flesh. In this rotten, sinful, human flesh that we live in every day. And he came to earth as a man. 100% man, 100% God. And he came and he did what no one else has ever, is right now, or will ever do. He lived a perfect sinful life. Sin, sinless life, excuse me. He lived a perfect sinless life. Life, And what he did by doing that is he became the only one that God would accept as a sacrifice for your and mine and anybody else's that would ever live in this world. He became a perfect sinless sacrifice that could take all your sins on him so that you didn't have to pay before God for your sins. And he took them all and he bore them on the cross because he wanted to. It was his choice and he did it because he loved you, not because he was forced to, not because he had to, but out of love he came and died for your sins and offers eternal life to those that would surrender to him. So although it's going to be hard, Life is hard anyway. There's not a person listening to this message that wouldn't admit that life's hard anyway. And although it may get a little harder to follow Jesus, what does he offer? He, he goes way beyond eternal life. Jesus gives hope in a world where there's hopelessness. I'll challenge any one of you to take a picture and send it to me. If you've ever seen a hearse, that's where they put dead people on the way to the morgue, on the way to the burial, with a U-Haul with their stuff in it behind them. Take a picture. Send it to me. Facebook it to me. Take a picture. Because guess what? Whatever you accumulate in this life, whatever you work for in this life, whatever you do in this life, whatever you gain in this life, the moment that you take your last breath, you can't take it with you. It all stays right here. And you go to the great beyond where you can't have everything that you had here. You go on to the next life. Whether it's with God or without God. You leave all your stuff here. He offers hope in a world of hopelessness. People hate one another in this world. People do whatever they have to do to get ahead, even when they step on you to do it. And we've all been stepped on by other people getting ahead at our expense. That's people. Death is going to come to everybody. So there are plenty of reasons to say, although it's going to be hard, I need to make that decision. I need to I, I got to have him. I got to have him. Because he doesn't offer hope for forever. He offers hope to today. There are a lot of other reasons to keep your hands on the plow if you're already following Jesus Christ as well. 
He gives me and everyone as far as He gives us peace and joy daily as we trust in Him and as we live for Him. His name in the Bible is Jehovah Jireh. That means He's our great provider. God provides for me in supernatural ways the way nobody else can. And on my budget, God does a miracle keeping my head above the water. And none of me or my family is starving. And we have a nice house to live in too. God is my great provider. He makes all things work out the best for you. The Bible says that God works everything for the good who those for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. He makes everything work out for your better. Even though it's not easy, He makes all things work out for the best of you. So I ask Everyone that's listening or will ever listen to this message, I ask you to examine yourselves today. Where are you at with Jesus? You're either following him or you're not. Even he said, there's no middle ground. Bible says that if you're in the middle, God would rather you be hot, which meaning hot for him, or cold completely far away from him. But if you're lukewarm, he said, he'll spew you out. You got to be following or you're not following. He said himself, we read it today, you're either for me or you're against me. Where are you at? If the plow is in your hands and you're plowing the field and you're going on and you're following Christ and you're serving him and you're doing what he called you to do and you're being faithful to Him and you're trusting in Him and you're believing in Him, then He says, keep on. Because if you turn away, you want to turn away and you want to disqualify yourself from following Me. If that's where you're at. And we've already gone over and there we could send a whole sermon on how God, how God is so good and how He's our great provider, but you already know if you've been walking with Him, He's more than good. He's more than we deserve. Way more than we deserve. Keep your hand to the plow. Keep following. Keep pushing forward, even through the tough times. And when they get tough, as I just even learned just the other day, I needed a renewal. But when they get tough, it even causes me even all the more to cry out and say, God, help me. Please, God, help me. So I'm struggling with this. And then what happens is I go through that, that trial, that struggle, and I grow closer. Through. Or I look back. And I turn to a pillar of stone. If you're not there, and you could say to yourself, I don't really follow Jesus Christ. You know, I believe in Him or whatever. I don't believe in Him. Remember biblically, it's not just enough to believe in Him. The Bible says that even the demons believe and tremble. And we know for sure that demons, there's no hope for their salvation. But there is hope. For your salvation today, if you either have a belief or you don't believe at all, there is hope. Because Jesus came to die for the sins of the whole world. Not just for mine, or not just for those that are His, or not just for that guy that really loves Him. He came to die for the sins of everybody. So that whosoever would believe and turn and follow Him should be saved. The Bible says if you're there and you realize today, you know, I don't want to live by myself anymore. I don't want to just believe. I realize, wow, I didn't know that the Bible says that belief is not enough. i got to take that next step. God's asking you to take the step of believing in that girl. And he says, or that guy. And he says, go out and ask that guy or ask that girl out. Because none of us that have ever had a relationship or in a relationship right now would be in that relationship or would get in a relationship if we didn't ask that young lady or ask that young man, hey, would you like to go get a pop? Would you like to go get a cup of coffee with me? We gotta ask. We gotta come to him and we gotta ask. Just like we did when we first met our spouse or our girlfriend, whatever you are, male or female. We gotta ask. And the Bible declares boldly, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can have hope today and tomorrow and the next day until the day you die you can have hope 
I exhort you today. If you're not there, please turn now. Please turn now, cry out to him with all that's within you and tell him and ask him to save you because you know you're not where you need to be. And know that God loves you and he's waiting on you and he's calling out to you right now. Let's pray. Lord, I praise you and I thank you for this message today. I thank you for what you said in your word and I thank you, Lord God, that these things are recorded so that we can't just make up a God in our own mind. I mean, sure, people still do to this day. They make up a God that's whatever they want, just like they can make up their own lives if they want. People do that. I used to do that, Lord. I used to pretend that I had this awesome life and everything was great and everything was awesome and you know I had no problems, but in reality I did. So just because I believed it in my mind that I had this great life, just because people believe in their minds today, Lord God, that they have this God that just lets them do whatever they want or all my God so I just believe in me, Lord, then we know that that's not you because your word says, Jesus, if you believe in me, follow me. If you believe in me, if you want to love me, if you love me, then you'll do the things which I called you to do. You'll pick up your cross, you'll deny yourself, and you'll follow after me, Jesus, you said it. Not me, Jesus, you said it. So I pray right now, dear God, for everybody that's yours out there, Let's listen to this message. I pray that they would continue with their hand to the plow. Keep shining like a light for Christ. Keep being open and bold and being a light to others for the salvation and the hope that's in Jesus Christ. No matter what we've got going on in our lives, no matter how hard our lives is, Lord God, I pray that those people out there that are yours would continue to walk with you and continue to love you and continue to keep their hand to the plow. And not long for that Sodom and Gomorrah that they left behind when you saved them and not turned to a pillar of salt as Lot's wife did. I pray that they would keep going, Lord. And for those out there, Lord God, that are not yours, they're not walking with you, they're not following you, maybe they believe in you, maybe they don't believe in you, I pray, dear God, for them that they would go to your word and I pray that they would find out what you said because we got to count the cost. I pray that they would go to your word and see what you said and count the cost and decide whether it's worth it to follow you. I pray that you would just put a rock in their shoe, a pee underneath their mattress. That, Lord God, that when they go to bed at night, when they walk around during the day, that rock would be there and that pee would be there and they'd be unre- they would be restless. Because they must go and find out what you said. Because they know right now today, Lord, that they're not okay. But you can make that all change. And I pray that they would be restless until you make that change in their life, until they fall on their knees, until they cry out to the Lord, and all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I ask these things and I pray these things, all of them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.